morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy. Uh, I'm the host here of the If You Market podcast, and today we'll be talking with Byron Crowell of Solutions Publishing about European lead gen in the age of GDPR. A lot of GDPR talk today. Uh, so Byron's the founder of Solution Publishing, where they produce niche journals to help connect technology vendors and project leaders. I think very relevant for this topic, why we have you on. So thanks for uh, coming on today, Byron. Good, how you doing, Sky? So GDPR, it's a scary acronym for a lot of marketers. A lot of marketers, they just know it's this, this big, weird thing. We don't like compliance and having to jump through all these hoops. But your company, it seems, kind of straddles the... Well, you provide an old school solution before GDPR, what people used to do before all this data was everywhere, but also you've gone through all of this. So can you speak to the audience? I know very little. Our company just said we're staying out. Um, can you speak to the audience? I guess first, let's just start off saying, what is GDPR? So yeah, the General Data Protection Policy Act is um, a European uh, act that was uh, passed by the EU. It went into effect in 2018. Uh, it was passed a couple of years before that. And it basically sets up a regulatory uh, body that audits or is a, and is a place to receive complaints from consumers and businesses uh, regarding breaches of privacy, and or illegal, uh, or, or uh, it's, it's, it's not even a law, right? It's more like a, a, a out of compliance uh, communications and prospecting uh, without permission. And so it, for, for the first two years, it, it didn't really issue any uh, fines, although it had, had the legal authority to do so. And then about a year ago, it started issuing fines, big ones. Were they um, playing rope-a-dope just thinking like, let's let people think we're not going to ever do anything and see who the players are and then we'll go get them. I don't think it was that. I, I think it's a matter of, you know, they have a, a giant sledgehammer and I think they wanted to decide which way to wield it first for maximum effect. And also is that find a small business that's an easy target to crush or go after a really big target to make a point? <laughs> yeah, the second, right? The second, because here's the thing, right? P part of it is to keep uh, the populace on, you know, on board with this whole thing. And they have certainly done that in the sense that they've gone after Amazon and Google. They've gone uh, after some other folks as well. Um, and, but for the most part, it's all in consumer, right? We do B2B um, and that, you know, to some degree is a different animal within this context. Um, but they've gone after the big guys for the most part. What they've done for smaller uh, folks is make the cost of, of operating a lot higher because you have to be prepared to, uh, if you get a GDPR inquiry, which you know, we've been through a few of them, uh, you've got to be able to turn your, um, you know, your audit quickly and get the data back to them, get the information about where, you know, where people opted in and so forth. And so, you know, that produces an infrastructure cost and it produces a, a cost to, you know, be able to produce this stuff quickly and have it right. It's like a, a data tax almost, it seems like you're creating this new barrier to entry for any company that touches any data. I think one of the things I said, I know very little about it, but I do know this, it's not just like my company's a data company. It's not just companies that um, sell data, that do direct marketing. It's if you do anything other than like a hot dog street vendor, I don't know if they have those in Europe, maybe they have like a waffle street vendor or something like that, cheese street vendors. Um, if you do anything where you have people's information, then 
Um, so it, it doesn't even have to be outbound marketing. You have customers. Mm-hmm. If you have their name recorded, then yep. you have to be compliant. No, it's true. Yeah, they, they, they made it so that if you hold information on a European or an EU citizen, you have inherited liability. And so like yourself, like a lot of companies just said, oh, the hell with it. I'm not, you know, why, why deal with this at all? Um, what's my lifetime value of that name versus the liability that it's that's incurring to my company? Um, so that, you know, and, and there are a few different facets to this thing. The first one is, is infrastructure um, related, right? So if you want to operate within GDPR, if you want to do business with European data, the first thing you have to do is go through a full infrastructure audit and uh, retrofit to make sure that your data, the way you transfer data is compliant, that you have um, uh, procedures and policies in place, that they are documented, that your uh, employees know about them. Because the first thing that will happen is if you if you get a, a complaint or an inquiry is they want to see your policy and they want to see that it's been implemented, right? And you have to- it's, it's not just saying, yes, the data I have, I have permission to have. Yeah, yeah. And if, if somebody calls that into question that I can show, it's you, you have to have certain levels of protection set up ahead of time. It's almost like you're, they're an insurance saying, we need to see, we need you to show before we'll even let you do any of this stuff that you can handle it. You've had to, you've had to spend resources to some degree to show that you're, you know, on board with the the whole program. So in our case, back in 17, like we looked at it pretty hard because we had a, you know, a a fairly robust um, European, you know, lead um, business we had newsletters, right? Uh, IT Solution Journal was published in, in the UK specifically. It had, had its own version um, in France as well and in um, Scandinavia. So we looked at this and said, wow, you know, this is a, this is a big, you know, opportunity and, and also a big penalty if we have to you know, give all this up. So you guys don't just say, hey, we're all opt in. People sign up for us. So all we need to do is on our site, put a little extra checkbox about GDPR or something like that when they sign up there's all this other stuff you had to decide to do to stay in the market. Yeah, there didn't used to be, right? It used to be you get engagement and engagement, you know, uh, carried with it some level of permission. So <clears throat> that um, has sort of gone away there. So what we had to do is take our, you know, our database, it was hundred and something thousand people who would engage with the newsletters on a regular basis. And before the, the, the curtain fell, we sent all that to a call center and said, call all these people and get on the record that, you know, they, they, accept this and they want it. And so we had, uh, we had consent by email, we had consent by phone call, we could show the audit trail of all the places before it, it ended that, or the, before it started, I should say, um, that, you know, these people are, are legitimate, we've been doing legitimate business. After that, it's very difficult to get new readers, right? You literally have to have a bridge form and somebody signing up and, um, you know, the, the cost of a new reader in Europe is much higher than it used to be. Um, and, you know, you can debate whether that's good or bad or whatever but you really have to do it. And, and because it's so difficult to prospect organically, you're essentially left with, all right, well, I got to go to LinkedIn or I got to go to um, Facebook or something like that. To- you said something, you said you can debate whether it's good or bad. And I would invite anybody because I hate GDPR. We didn't do any business with European data anyway. Right. Um, but I still hate GDPR. I still think it's terrible. I think it's anti capitalistic i think it's anti-business and when you say the curtain fell it does it feels like a you know a european union wall came down around business you're saying we're going to make it really hard to do business and then on top of that you are about to get in and i'll let you get into this subject as well but i think you're about to get into the subject of 
again, the wall, it's not even an analogy, hardly the wall they put around is a wall that big businesses can get around, small businesses can't. But also now these platforms, all the platforms that everybody's pissed about now, yeah. they have these wall gardens. And so for them, you're just forced out of the free market and into their marketplace. You're forced into Google AdWords. You're forced into to all these other places to, to get your advertising because they can overcome these walls or pay the fines or, or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. Um, and you and I probably agree on most of that. Uh, the only thing I'd, I'd point out is that GDPR is very popular in Europe, right? So the, the, the public does not agree with us, right? Because as uh, marketers, they, they feel like they're being protected or, or whatever. And so that's why I say you can, you can debate it, but I don't think you can make a case that saying something like, you know, um, any un, ungated introduction online is illegal, that if that doesn't sound like, you know, it's got a, a free speech problem to it, you know, I don't know what does. And that's we're not all the way there yet, but we're quickly becoming there where uh, as soon as the cookie ban goes into place and, and the whole display um, piece of the puzzle is much less, um, you know, open, then, you know, you're really stuck with uh, being arbitrated by Apple and by Google and by Facebook and by LinkedIn, Microsoft, et cetera. And, you either have to have one of the most compelling offers ever to make it because you have to outbid everybody else, right. To, to, to be able to get a keyword or, or um, get in front of somebody. Um, so Which again, like, steps on the small businesses because you're right. going to get it's outbid. Very difficult, right. Very, very difficult. And, you know, some agree and say, well, that's, that's what they want. They want, they want, they want it difficult to be flanked by, you know, small uh, innovative uh, companies. Um, and so, you know, to some degree it's, it's doing that. So, um, but the, you know, back to my, my story, right? We we went through that so that we have a, a you know, bank of hundred thousand plus subscribers to get our newsletters. Therefore, we can you know still do some outreach. But you know, it shrinks. It's difficult because um, uh, you know data decays rapidly, even in Europe, where they don't switch jobs nearly as often as they do here. There's been COVID since then, etc. So um, I would say, you know, if, if somebody wants to do business in, in Europe, you know, you have to make sure that it's a worthwhile opportunity because the, the cost is pretty high. And again, not just to market, it's just to maintain your clients and to right. have their information at all, um, right. which is insane. And I'm going to restrain myself from getting angry during this episode, but yeah. I think, I feel like this law is terrible. And I'd like to go back, if you know anything about this, why was it implemented? What was the onus? I mean, you said something, Europeans love the law. I'm sure European business owners don't love the law, except for the very large ones. Right. It's funny, even the ones that are getting the fines are the large ones, but privately, they, they probably look at it and like it. Um, the, uh, it reminds me of, in the, I think it was the 1990s, they, they passed this law in the US. I believe it was the whole US, maybe it was just California, around the storage tanks that um, gas stations use, saying they all had to be replaced. Right. And these large companies actually came out for it. And it seemed like people thought, oh, they're doing this environmental PR thing, Exxon mm -hmm. and all the big gas station companies are for it. And then what people realized once it was implemented was every single mom and pop gas station disappeared because they couldn't right. afford the cost to replace their tanks unnecessarily with new tanks and the whole thing was really just this massive market grab, wiped out all the competition. Towns like mine went down to one gas station because, uh, you know, small towns that had a couple mom and pops. It, it seems a bit like that, where they're going to 
complain a little bit about the regulation and at the same time backing it because they know it's going to monopolize the market uh, for them. But was this a political thing? I see in some of these data privacy laws, there's some politician who sees a chance, you know, they need something to run on. And so they take this thing and make it their centerpiece. Oh, data privacy, all this, and, and they make this, and then they end up passing some law that's not really in the best interest of everybody, but sounds great as a bumper sticker. I, I you know, it's, it's hard to lump the whole thing into one agenda. I would say, you know, there were competing agendas that all, you know, were, were confluent at the same time. So, you know, it's hard to remember back since years go, you know, years seem like decades these days, but back in 14, 15, 12, 13, there were a lot of, you know, full on um, data breaches where, you know, banks just got their entire um, user base stolen or taken or whatever. Um, and that happened, it seemed like it was happening every six months, right? Some large company, Citibank would go and, and uh, you know, then Marriott went and so forth. And so you could, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theory can say, well, uh, this, is a, this, this is under the heading of, you know, let no crisis go to waste. On the other hand, you can say, well, you know, there, there certainly was a problem where all this stuff just continually, is continually getting stolen and put it on the black market and the dark web. The fact that they lumped in um, B2B with the consumer, right? That's something that for the most part until recently, we stayed away from in this country, right? There were consumer privacy laws that made sense um, that, you know, I think most people would say, you know, that, that you know, you got to keep pe people, individuals who don't have the wherewithal to defend themselves necessarily, maybe a higher bar, more, more protection. Right. But, but we B2B, have can spam, which says specifically you can send unsolicited emails, but you have to follow these rules. Right. We draw a line somewhere. They seem like they went the bumper sticker route where they said, let's just throw it all in there. Let's act like somebody's bank account number is the same yeah. as their name. Let's mm -hmm. take this, this personal info data breach things and just throw in all marketing information, all account information of, of any type. Uh, like I've been, this keeps coming up in episodes recently and talks and giving and stuff, but somebody's social security number or their bank account number is not, their password is not the same as their name and as their title and as their email address. Like one is public information and the other is sensitive information. And they just seem to have thrown it all together because <clears throat> it all falls into the word data. And they didn't care to distinguish between one data and another. Well, you know, they set up, this thing is set up as a regime, right? It's, it's different than here where, you know, you've got a law. And then that sounds like, like a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, not, it's not how we do things, that's for sure. And, and I'm trying to be, you know, as sort of neutral as I can to sign, you know, because, you know, we do business there. So I don't want to. Yeah. You can make neutral. I'll talk shit about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, we don't want to pick advice. We don't have to. But the thing is that this thing is a, a regime, which meaning um, they have broad powers, they have, um, in, in some ways, you know, they have some, some processes they have to follow, but they can do whatever the hell they want. And they're picking and choosing. And so I'll, I'll tell you, when we first started, right, we, we uh, engaged with a GDPR law firm out of New York and everybody was new to this, but these guys had done, you know, privacy sort of related stuff. And they were at the, at the time, the experts on GDPR. And, and we talked to some other ones as well. And it was the strangest um, conversation our conversations are generally strange with business, you know, business people because we want an answer. We want, you know, here cause effect. What do I, you know, what's my liability? And they always try to not, you know, be a little amorphous. But in this case, it was here's what you have to do. Here's what it says. Okay, and then what's your liability? We don't know. What do you yeah. mean? We don't know. We're not, and, and it's clearly intended that we don't know. 
and that we're all going to sit and wait until they start issuing um, fines. And then we will try to calculate based on that, what predict what they will do in the future, but they are not constrained by those either. So uh, that's why I say it's, it, it is a bit of a, you know, a regime or a, you know, I won't get any stronger than that, but it, it's difficult to deal with because, because you can't predict necessarily what, what's going to happen. Um, they could change their mind and, and, and uh, policy decisions could be different um, next year versus this year, because there's some other thing that they're trying to cure or go after or whatever else. But for the moment, mm-hmm. as it stands right now, right, we've had Amazon's uh, ruling, which is 877 million. That's big, even for Amazon, uh, you know, and that, that, that's uh, was around cookie consent. That looks like they're trying to find some sort of structural problem, kind of structural thing that they uh, have, you know, mass, um, you know, mass offense going on. Google had privacy notices. Um, there have been in Italy, in Italy there was a telemar- a, a bank that went out, went crazy with telemarketing calls. They got fined, but they, they come down pretty fast because 877 down to 6 million in the top five. So, right, there's this giant fine and that goes down pretty fast. All of these are related to, um, infractions against consumers specifically. Right. So the B2B space hasn't really been, uh, been hit on that much, which is kind of strange. I mean, in our space and data, the biggest company in data, um, is hopefully I can, they're very known to be litigious. Maybe that's why they took the stance they have. So hopefully I can say their name without getting a call from them, but, uh, zoom infos stance on it seems to be we're B2B. It doesn't apply to us. We'll do whatever we want. Um, and if you just heard a blank right here in this, in this call, it's cause I did get a call from them and they said that they would sue me if I, if I use their, even mention their name, um, <laughs> well, they great. seem to just say, Hey, we got lawyers. This is what we do. Bring it. We're not going to change anything. So we're a zoom info customer and partner. So we love zoom info. Uh, we got n- nothing bad to say about zoom info. I don't know specifically about what they're, how, how they are, um, defending their stance. They are offering European data. Certainly um, we use it to enhance our existing subscribers. We'll, you know, uh, put it into, to get uh, augmented data that they have. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to, to note that as big as they are, they're, God, their market cap's now up to 40 billion plus. Other that, than saying this doesn't apply to us, it seems, I mean, they're selling contact information of European people. Yeah, uh, it seems like it seems so obvious, Um, and they just seem to be saying, "You really want to test this on us?" Their contracts certainly make it, you know, to push liability on the user. And fair enough, I I don't know that that (laughs) works with GDPR, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I haven't gotten a comment from them, um, you know, recently about how they're looking at the whole thing. But um, I know that I I certainly know it's on the radar, and I know the last time we did a deal with them, GDPR was certainly a big part of the contract. So. Yeah, it's odd. Um, it, it, it's odd how it seems to be applied around and not applied around. And like you said, the B2B companies aren't really the target. It, it's, you know, they're picking and choosing um, who to go after. We have actually seen fines, though. I know the first couple of years, all the talk was like, hey, yeah. nothing's happened. Was this just talk? Are they never going to do anything? Are they going to go after somebody? Are they going to pick big or small? Uh, everybody was just kind of scared, not knowing how this was going to come about. And now we're still scared. We just know a little bit more about what they're going to do. Um, okay, there's a lot more to get to. I want to take a quick break, though. Uh, we're, we're talking here with Byron Crowell about, um, am I saying your name right, Byron? Yeah, that works. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> about uh, the European lead gen uh, in the age of GDPR. When we come back, 
I want to focus a little bit more on how to do lead gen with GDPR now, the actual what can and can't be done uh, for, for people who want to market there. Um, you're listening to the If You Market podcast, and we'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. We're here with Byron Crowell talking about European lead gen in the age of GDPR. We've We've hit on GDPR a bit, Byron. Let's jump into this lead gen part. How do people do lead gen in Europe now? How do you market in Europe under GDPR, assuming we're going to follow the rules? Okay, that's a good question. So uh, the first thing you have to have is some level of permission. Um, you, so there's two, there's two pieces to the law when it relates to actual marketing in B2B. In B2C, if you have Hotmail or Yahoo or those kind of addresses, you have to have overt opt-in permission. It has to be auditable. You have to be able to show it. And if you don't, you're really you know, taking your life in your own hands. B2B, you need to have some kind of permission, which would be engagement, a phone call, something that shows that in some way you had a relationship with this person uh, prior, um, you know, prior to, to the uh, implementation of law or going into effect. So that's one side. Then the other side is what's called legitimate interest. Does that so, cover grandfathered in? Can we just say we already had their info? So well, you, can't, you still have to show it. You still have, you still have to show it. So, but but the idea is that so before GDPR happened, right? We we went on a campaign to make sure we got documented, um, you know, proof that, that we had talked to these guys and we could we could um, produce it. After it went into effect, you can't just go call people and say, "Hey, will you take our newsletter?" Right? That, right. That, that game is over. So you can't call uh, them to opt them in, no, which is like in Canada, you call them up to opt them into email because they have the email, basically GDPR for email. Right. So you have to have something, you know, in place first, which is why, you know, um, subscriber lists, you know, that are legitimate of European folks are valuable now. If you can do, do but and keeping them up is really difficult because you have to, you know, you have to do a lot of, uh, add a lot of value. Keep them in the, in the and game. that's a lot of what you guys do there at Solutions Publishing, right? You have all these, it, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's kind of old school. You have this pre-email marketing, pre-internet ad stuff. You've built these, uh, and I think back to, you know, you get IT Weekly or some sort of publication, physical publication sent to you for free when you sign up. What you're doing is getting on the monetization part is the ads in the publication plus the monetization of the data, creating this pool of people who have kind of said, this is something we're interested in. Yeah, it's a vertical email newsletters. And, you know, we do a little bit more than that and, you know, working on a lot more than that. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. The curated audiences um, that we, you know, get engagement through email newsletters. 
So the newsletter has to be good. It has to be good content. It has to be, you know, uh, something people really want to read. Content costs money, right? Um, it's a traditional channel. I mean, it's just like TV or radio. It's just another channel saying, are we going to buy ad space in this magazine? Are we going to pay them <clears> to <throat> promote us out to their audience through other, you know, email or, or whatever else? Or some channels, some publications like you guys would sell the list. Some wouldn't. They'd just sell sending flyers to them or, or what so there's an example right that so send, selling a list that's out right no we can't do that anymore right so you got to keep your list so your list is more valuable you have people that are engaged with your newsletter you've got it in a place where you know uh it's sort of a contained walled garden as you said and so that's our model right and that's how we if any if nothing else we, you know we sell some ads in the newsletters but honestly uh by far the, the biggest value is, is keeping engagement with these folks that are behind gdpr so we can do lead generation mm -hmm. so if you have that, if you have engagement, then you, you need to have um, a legitimate interest. So if we're doing, you know, if, if uh, somebody comes to us and says, you know, we want to sell tractors and we try to do lead gen and send somebody a white paper that's a cloud architect about tractors, no bueno. We're going to, you know, right. that, very likely we're going to get a complaint about that and we'll have to, you know. But if you have a publication on farming and farm, you know, everything about farming, then boom, that's the right. vertical that now that lead gen can go out to say, with the assumption that there's interest because you're targeting right legitimate interest and you know there's there's a test you have to go through you can do what's called a legitimate interest uh, uh audit right so there's a purpose test a necessity test and a balancing test and they take you through how you how you have to do these whole things for each offer that you're doing um it's a pain in the ass but that's what you have to do to do these things like, right? that sounds like a shit ton of work just to say yes mm -hmm. i am going to sell soap on this daytime tv show because the audience that's watching is housewives and they and i know i'm going back to the 50s but and and they're the ones washing stuff so that's where i'm going to sell my freaking soap you're like no no you need to prove to us that, that that that's who's watching and that they actually do have interest in soap and that they do the it's like come on man this is marketing one we're just doing a targeted audience we're trying to target as best we can and you're taking that tool away from us well, it, it's fair enough, but let, let's, you know, just to for play devil's advocate, right? If you get 100,000 names of people that are, quote, GDPR compliant, and you're sending newsletters to them, and you say, well, hey, I've got one of the very few 100,000, uh, you know, name audiences there. I'm going to try to sell them everything. I'm going to sell them every damn thing that's under the sun. I get every offer that there is because we have access. You know, that's what they're trying to avoid. So, yeah, right. we you know, we sell tech products to IT solution journal guys, and we sell HR software to uh, HR solution journal people. And, and that's for the most part, how you're supposed to do it. So, I mean, it, they're trying to avoid, they're vastly overreaching in my opinion and being terribly destructive to business, but they're trying to avoid essentially saying, uh, Hey, we have this list. Who cares what their interests were? We're selling Viagra. Some of them will be men. Let's just promote Viagra. So we have their emails and according to us, we're allowed to use them. Let's promote Viagra out to everybody. Exactly. So, I can get that yeah, again. Enough, right? Overreaching, poorly done, very damaging. But I can understand that that argument as maybe they didn't have evil intent when they went and destroyed everything. Again, <laughs> my opinion, not yours. But <laughs> okay. Um, so, so we have things like what you guys do there, where you have these vertical these verticals that you've identified and can get ads out to. We have the other marketing channels, like we mentioned, uh, Google, Facebook, all those people can market through to. And it stopped me if I'm skipping over something here. 
Um, but when it comes to marketing to people in Europe, um, there's the direct thing you were talking about. You get your, you curate your own newsletter, that kind of stuff. But there's all these indirect channels too. These, these own channels that you can kind of step, I mean, you could do billboards and TV ads and stuff still. Yeah, and that's true. It's just the cost of acquiring a reader, a subscriber has just gone up tremendously. So, and for the time being, there's still display, right? But they're going after that. So the cookie bans and a lot of the stuff that Apple's doing with, you know, um, uh, mass or, or should I say spoofing open rates and these kinds of things, all of these things make it more difficult to prospect somebody for a something of value, right? And so- we had somebody tell us the other day, they said, this doesn't make any sense. We did an email campaign and we got, you know, this number of opens and this number of clicks. Why do we have 10 times the clicks? And I said, the way these things are measured now is insane. And, you know, sometimes you get an insane amount of opens and a super low clicks and it doesn't, frequently it doesn't actually <clears throat> match across. They're, they're, they're measuring signals that may mean something happened or not. I mean, yep. a long time ago, Google started opening every email, preloading every image. So right. the, the image tracking stuff would show every one of your emails that went to a, a Gmail or a business Gmail um, was opened and was clicked, but they all were clicked from the same IP, which is Google servers or the same group of IPs. Right. Um, so just completely wreaking havoc on those, those kind of metrics. But you still have, even if you do all this, you still have a website, let's say, and you remove the, the cook, but you still have the back to the Mad Men style, you have a website. It's about sports. Right. People can pay to put up display ads relevant to the audience that would be interested in the topic For on the that. moment, right? So that's you don't the problem, have right? to know who's there. Well, so it, the display ads, right? If the if the cookie bans go into place, and there's at this point, I'm not sure they're, they they can effectively do that because that's a bit of you know gnawing off your own arm kind of thing, but. Uh, it, it, that's in some ways the last channel where you can say, okay, I'm going to buy a banner um, and get, you know, a hundred thousand impressions. And I know how I want to put it in market. I know what you know, the interest of these folks, I'm going to match it up to a, a hash and, and upload it into Facebook or whatever else, but it, Facebook ad example, cause that way more expensive, effective, but way more expensive, but in the general ad ecosystem, right? If you go to live ramp or something like that, you can, uh, get to, to some degree, right, still European readers. And you can still offer them subscribe, you know, a subscription to, um, to a newsletter. But, you know, the cost of the reader has gone up by seven to 10 times. And so you've got to really look at the lifetime value of these guys and say, you know, hey, you better give them good content because, you know, they, you paid a lot of money to get to these people. Um, and then, you know, what you have to do to get uh, to get your money back over time is, you know, is, is pretty daunting. So uh, it's a difficult thing because it, it really has gotten it's uh, attacked the freedom and openness of the Internet and, and commerce in general. You're still talking about targeting the specific target audience, about knowing who is, hey, here's the people I want to target only when they come show them the ad. Mm -hmm. I'm saying what's stopping sites and some still do this, I'm sure, and some some will, but you can still just go to this site is about sports. I yeah. have a, I have no idea who's coming through the site, but they're probably mostly people interested in sports since it's ESPN. So if I put my banner ad on that site, yeah. I know it's going to be this kind of audience. Doesn't matter who they are. There's zero cookie tra tracking, any of that kind of stuff. But I, I know my, just like TV ads, you know, I'm not only going to have it displayed to individual people. Although I know there's, that is a thing that this, been worked on and, and there's some versions of it out there 
where each household sees their own commercial depending on their specific who they are and their profile and everything just step back to we don't know but we know the profile of the type of person that would take this content so we're just going to blindly put the ad out there again less targeting less effective less useful for the viewer as well but gdpr compliant uh so that was no question there i'm sorry no, 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 it's a, but, but it's a good topic, right? The topic is something along the lines of what is the ad ecosystem doing in response to all this sort of stuff, right? And that's just, that's not just uh, in Europe, that's here as well. And so, you know, in the last eight, 10 years, um, ad exchanges have come along and replaced what used to be the ad networks. And they're much more efficient and they're much better at serving ads quickly so sites don't get hung up. Um, and they really do produce a better user experience. Now you can argue about whether, you know, it's too creepy and whatever else things follow you, follow you around, but I, I think it's a job to balance the creep factor. Sure. Right. Exactly. But objectively speaking, I think the user experience on these sites is better in general where the ads are served elsewhere, right. At, a, at an arbiter or a third party or an exchange and the sites produce the content uh, and, and place the ads. That is now under threat because of exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, they don't know if cookies are going to go, go away. They don't know uh, how much, you know, uh, having data or using data gives them future liability. And in Europe, they have a hard time even getting to the data. So as inefficient as it is, what you're seeing is um, media buyers and agencies are going directly to sites and saying, okay, well, we didn't used to, you know, we got away from doing this back in 2010 because it was so much more efficient just to place programmatic stuff uh, at scale. But now we're going to go back to ZDNet and we're going to go back to CNET and we're going to say, hey, we want to do an ad buy with you directly. Um, Here's who we're doing. But we know that you know who your readers are because it's first party data. So that's some of what we're talking about here is first party versus third party information and access to audiences. And that is what we are trying uh, desperately here to to um, to get to completely, which is first party only uh, kind of um, uh a product for, you know, for our marketing partners. So you're trying to keep it one step above the mad men. You're trying to not go all the way back to here's the general audience that would be interested in this site. Right. It's Um, it's our audience. And that gives you a certain level of comfort because we're not informing it with, you know, there, there are a number of intent companies out there that will, you know, help you augment data as, as readers come to your site, they will augment it and give you more information and insight about these folks um, so that you can tailor content. Now, on the one hand, you can um, you can customize the experience, which is good. On the other hand, um, it's being used in other places that's, you know, for things that users probably wouldn't want. Right. You mentioned something there, intent. And I did want to make sure I got to this. How is GDPR affecting the intent data industry, which is basically um, saying for just for the, for the listeners, intent data is basically saying, we're going to go and, and they call it internet exhaust frequently we're going to go and track all these people all over the internet cookies are huge in intent but we want to be able to say here's a person i want to market to now tell me when they're doing activities that signal they might be interested in my product they're talking to a competitor they're doing this you know reading articles online on certain subjects so they're basically following these stalking these people all over the internet and reporting back to you about it for specific individuals, typically intent can be done a handful of different ways, but right. intent is a very stocky 
industry. Are they able to do European Union stuff at all? How's how's that business working? So um, the intent, the legitimate intent industry does things at the domain level, right? And so uh, they are, and, and they use various ways. Cookies has always been the the, the method of choice because it is at the individual level. But what they do, and this is this is U.S. privacy too, and it works in Europe, which is you know you 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 anonymize the data, right? You bring signal back about what somebody's reading. You put it in a server. You chop off the front end of the email address. All you're looking at is the domain. You categorize the content in some sort of schema, and then you say how often, uh, you know, what, what is the, the standard deviation of interest in a particular topic over a certain amount of time over baseline. So. You know, Exxon is now researching CRM software because a bunch of guys somewhere at one particular office, uh, you know, so they're going to say we're not looking at the individual contact. We don't know who was, but we're right. not going to we're not going to pay attention to who was. We're not going to look at that. But we know the company was, and then it's up to their client to either find individual contacts or then add specific target contacts on. Right. And so uh, it's used in a couple ways. I mean, the, the main use case for intent data is sales enhancement, right? So you want to do ABM account-based marketing. You want to say, you know, I, I have my product or service and I want, I can't sell it to the entire world because it costs too much. So I want to take my limited sales team and send them after the highest value customers I can. So right. I can do two things. I can model my existing customer base and then I can go to one of the intent companies and say, who's surging on these topics? And I can have them call those guys. The problem is that to do it, you have to consume PII. And so in Europe, that, that takes on an enormous amount of liability, whether you do anything or not, right? The compliance aspect of it when you're doing that kind of stuff is, is pretty onerous. So is that to what, say you can say, hey, but we didn't keep the contact info, but you still had it at some point. Right. You taking it and then using it to do your thing and then getting rid of it doesn't mean that you're not still. Doesn't mean they won't come and ask and want to see and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I know a, a lot of the folks at intent companies, the biggest ones, and I can tell you that this is, you know, they've spent an enormous amount of time over the last two or three years figuring out how to navigate this stuff. And for the most part, they have made some marginal decision close to what you have, which is, you know, as much as we can, we just, just isn't worth it. Let's, you know, try to navigate away from it. Um, we're getting close to the end here. I want to see if I can uh, buzz through a, a couple questions here for you. Um, are most companies complying with GDPR or just ignoring it? And you can decline to answer that question if it's legally not. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's, I'm just trying to, when you say most companies, I would say that there's an enormous um, amount of small businesses and just, you know, folks that are, don't know what they don't know, right? And because they're so small and they're just, you know, kind of off the radar, they may never know and it may never affect them. I would say <clears throat> any company over, any company big enough to have a general counsel and you know, ha have lawyers that will look at what they're doing. Will say, you know, that you you guys are, are have a big liability here, and they'll decide whether they want to roll with it or not. Um, and there is an enormous amount of interest in in GDPR from the lawyers that we we work with. They're, they're getting you know inundated with how they how people can become compliant. But for the most part, it's larger companies. So it's you know fifty hundred million dollar companies plus. They realize that if they're going to keep operating, it's you know it, it's just too uh, too risky. Right. Okay. And then um, 
Are there winners and losers with GDPR? I mean, are, are there industries or specific companies that this is a is very good for and, and companies it's bad for, or is it just a mess everywhere? Uh, certainly they're winners. I mean, the, the, the big platforms are the winners. Now they're getting fined, but they're not getting fined nearly as much as they're being buttressed, buttressed, <laughs> defended against, um, <laughs> against encroaching uh, competitors. I mean, you know, no launching a, let's say, for example, if you wanted to launch a new social network, good luck, right? Um, that's that's going to be very difficult to do with this new environment where there's nowhere out there to, to get traction initially to get going. Um, so, you know, Facebook's a big winner. Google's an enormous winner. And, you know, Amazon, despite $887 million, which is a lot uh, for them, it's, you know. Uh, that's an 800 and- $87 million barrier to competitors entering there. It's basically a warning shot for them. They're like, oh, where's my couch? Let me get some coins. Um, but to anybody who wants to get into that space, like, holy cat crap, we could be hit with this just the same. Yeah, it, it makes things really, really difficult for sure. I think AWS is a big winner because um, they have already built in the infrastructure so that you can say you're GDPR compliant without doing your own, um, you know, building your own um uh, data center yourself that you know that, that does all that sort of stuff they've got all that built in um, i think individual data centers are in big trouble because you know they're just not going to be able to process anything in any kind of data like that um, i will tell you that call centers especially overseas call centers they lost an enormous amount of business over this because they just can't call into europe anymore it, nobody's going to hire them to do that but it is, is not worried about being fined when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What do you think about this? Um, this I've heard the issue again. I, I haven't even bothered to dig into it much myself, but I've heard with GDPR that there's a blurry line between: is this somebody living in Europe? Is this a European Union citizen, regardless of where they live around the world? Where does that line come? How much do people need to be worried that there's some Frenchman in San Francisco that they got the email of, and now they're going to be uh, in violation? I don't know, honestly, Scott, because we don't we don't do the consumer side of stuff. Thank God, uh, because you know I think that stuff is um, got well, a lot on the of, business side. Though the, you have yeah. people who are citizen of the EU, but they're living in tons of people living in the U.S., and then you have non-EU citizens living in Europe, and it's like, what, yeah. is uh, there a clear? Does GDPR state a clear line on who's covered and who's not in that sense? It says citizens, right? It says EU citizens. Um, if if there's a a German that's working in San Francisco that gets an email and then sends a GDPR complaint to, to Brussels. I, you know, good on him, I guess. Um, that, that would be, how would you yeah. know? Uh, you know, it's just uh, one you know. more reason why I hate this law. I was, yeah. I was worried that was the answer. I'd assume that was the answer. I thought that was, but it just yeah. seems uh, in, insane in the lack of clarity and legality even. Oh, I know. There, there's very little due process. On the other hand, there's no fine. So you can say, well, okay, you know, we've been through four audits so far or four, four inquiries. 
or, you know, we send somebody something or, or uh, make a phone call and somebody's not up, you know, not happy and they make a complaint and we have to go through a, a quick, you know, um, returning an audit, right? And the problem is that the client, right, whoever's buying the lead, they are freaking out because it's their brand on the line, right? So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a bad 24 hours for everybody where, you know, you've got to dig all this stuff up. you got to make sure it's perfect, make sure it's right. You, you look at it, you look at it, you look at it, you're scared to death of, you know, do we really send this thing? Is it ready to go? Then you send it and then you're, you know, can't sleep that night. And it's, that this is what it produces, right? And uh, four times in, in each of the four cases, it's been stressful. It's gotten slightly less stressful each time because now we kind of know what, what we're dealing with. And I think, you know, the Dell's HPs and Microsoft's, they also feel a little bit less, you know, like, oh my God, this one complaint means that, you know, whole marketing firm is going to lose their job. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it creates a lot of consternation. Hmm. Yeah, it seems, I don't know, that, that's, we don't have time to get, keep getting in, in, into that, but just the idea that somebody can complain and cause all this problem just by complaining. And now you, you're the one who has to go and, and prove stuff and, and jump through all these hoops. And that's the general spirit of the law is to make the the marketer prove that they have permission. So (laughs) I don't like it. Um, Okay. Let's change subjects here. We got a couple minutes left. Um, I want to, cover a little bit i want you to tell the audience what you guys do we've, we've kind of touched on it but i want to just talk about solutions publishing and you and what you guys do over there um unrelated to gdpr sure appreciate that so we do b2b uh, email newsletters in the it uh, hr small business and finance and marketing spaces um, we do most of it in us but we also do some in obviously europe and we do japan and australia and those give us a, um, you know, the, the privilege of being able to do lead generation in those spaces. So one side is publishing, one side is content, one side is giving value to our readers. And the other side is we'll get, you know, lead generation campaigns from most of the major folks out there that you, you hear of them and, and, or, and or their agencies. Uh, and they want, you know, 100 um, cloud architects in the Northeast that are interested in, you know, some new uh, technology or piece of software. And we will serve a white paper to these folks and they will uh, click on it or download the white paper. And then we have a, a pretty, you know, uh, extensive process of taking somebody who engages with it and then making sure and, and validating who they are, um, finding out if they, they pass the criteria for the campaign, calling them to see if we can get them on the phone and asking them more questions and then shaping and passing that lead on to the client uh, in a timely fashion. So. so it seems like a combination of you have the newsletter, you have an advertising channel, but then you also have kind of some intent, some lead generation. It's kind of all blended together into a, I guess, lead generation, but there's a layer of intent in there where you're creating intent by sending them the white paper and seeing if they interact. Yeah, they get engagement, right. So, you know, we, we get engagement by giving them good content over time. And then we try to determine intent by presenting them white papers or webinars or, or any piece of con- syndicated content. Uh, to determine if they're in market and interested, right? So there's in market, which means, you know, they might be, uh, have legitimate interest. And then there's actual interest that shows, yeah, this person, you know, clicked on something and they've, they've shown interest. So that's what we try to uh, provide in our leads more than just the, the kind of in market stuff that's, uh, that's out there at the, at the very, very top of the funnel or a little further down where, you know, somebody clicks on something and reads something. 
Awesome. And did you mention the verticals? I mean, I think you focus a lot on <clears throat> IT space. Are there other spaces that you guys work in? Yep. You know, IT is the, the biggest one out there, obviously, but uh, HR is huge for us, right? HR Solution Journal News is a great uh, newsletter. And, you know, we have 120,000, I think, U.S. Uh, subscribers. And they're everything from, you know, benefits people to recruiters to, to HR directors um, and anybody in that people space uh, gets our newsletter and, and uh, you know, engages that content. And then, you know, we can serve all sorts of things with that, you know, payroll software. Um, uh, uh, UKG is one of our biggest advertisers and we do a lot of work for them. So uh, that's that's a good one. And then uh, finance, uh, BFSJ, Business Finance Solution Journal, and then B2BSJ, which is B2B Marketing. And so that gives us two, two things, which is it's an audience that, you know, we serve uh, a lot of content to for VPs of marketing, advertising folks, and also media buyers at agencies. And then we can also tell our story to, to those folks as well, because, you know, we've uh, de delivered some good value. Awesome. Yeah, that's your audience uh, that you're hitting on there. So you have your own built-in uh, market. Of course, you want to you yeah. have that one going. Uh, fantastic. Well, uh, so for listeners, Solutions Publishing, if you want to find them online, it's Soul Pub, S O L P U B. We'll have uh, more information on the company and, uh, and, and Byron as well on the uh, ifyoumarket.com website in the show notes for this episode. Um, but uh, any last things you want to throw out there, Byron, before, uh, before we sign off? I would say, you know, uh, if you're interested in GDPR, don't um, just say no to it, uh, reject out of hand. It certainly requires some effort. Now, it, it requires some effort, but it is doable. You can navigate it. And, you know, if you have a, a good offering, uh, it's worth it to look into, you know, what is required. It's not, um, it's not the end of the world, but it does, does require some effort. And if you have a good partner that can help you uh, get access to, to prospect folks there, then, you know, it's a, it's a doable endeavor. Fantastic. All right. Again, check the, uh, the show notes, if you market.com, check out uh, soulpub.com for solutions publishing. And uh, Hey, when you go to, if you market, when you listen to the podcast, please do give us a review, uh, share it around. So on behalf of the, if you market team and Byron Crowell of solutions publishing, thank you for listening to the, if you market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it legally, they will come. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision-makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.